The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Hey, for a number of years now, my family and, and myself, we've had this membership at the YMCA, okay? And we've enjoyed it, we've made use of it, we've been pretty happy with it. But more recently, my wife and I, we started to rethink this whole YMCA membership because our life has changed. Um, we don't make use of the childcare anymore. That was, that was a big benefit there. Uh, work obligations have shifted. And so some of the classes that we used to maybe participate in aren't the same. The, the pool isn't as cool as it used to be for my kids. And we're basically pretty much done with, with swim lessons, okay? And the result is I'm kind of the only one using it right now. And therefore, we're rethinking our, our membership there. Uh, you know, if it's just going to be me, uh, I can probably easily find something else that just doesn't cost as much, you know? And we're talking about church membership today, and I, I wanted to start by telling you about my gym dilemma, because uh, when we typically think about membership, that word, we, we think of things like the why. You know, we think of things like Costco or, or Sam's Club. Um, in most of our life, membership involves us assessing, you know, what am I getting out of this? <laughs> um, is it worth it? Right? Those are the questions that we ask of other memberships in our life. Uh, membership in the rest of our life is something that we make use of. It's something that we voluntarily opt in or opt out of based on the value that we receive. And we can sometimes treat church membership the same way. You know, that's, that's pretty natural for us to, to do, honestly. After all, we live in a pretty individualized and consumeristic culture, and the way that we treat the church isn't immune from our, our cultural conditioning and formation. Now, there's other questions besides what am I getting out of it that we ask when it comes to church membership too. Uh, questions like, is it really that important? You know, um, is it biblical? Uh, what's the big deal about being a member if I'm a Christian and I come around church most of the time and maybe even involved in a gospel community? What's the big deal about becoming a member? And then there's issues of church wounds and Church baggage that Pastor Adam hit on last week, hesitations or objections based on prior bad experiences. You might be someone who enters into this room this morning with disdain for the local church or distrust of, of the local church. Perhaps you've been hurt by the church and the whole idea of membership, authority, anything like that, right? It's a non-starter might be a non-starter for you. If that's you, two things. First, number one, go listen to Adam's sermon last week. It was incredible. And, and number two, you know, um, if you were here last week and I'm describing you right now, like, go listen to it again. Because number two, no one here is pressuring you. Um, you're, you're not going to be less welcome if you don't pursue membership around here or if you're healing from a wound. Like, there's just, there's no rush, okay? Um, but I'm also going to tell you why this morning, because this is my job. I'm also going to tell you why this morning that you should prayerfully consider becoming a member of the church and why that's important and why it's biblical and why it's a big deal. And I've got several headings this morning I want to put all this under and they're not, they're not very neat and tidy, I'll just warn you, okay? They overlap and they overrun each other somewhat like we see church membership overlapping and overrunning everything in the New Testament. See, the first category for this this morning as we consider church membership is that of biblical implication, 
biblical implication. Church membership, like we think of it today, doesn't show up explicitly like in the New Testament. There, no one signs a membership covenant in here. I've looked for it, can't find it. I, w- I wish that was in there, can't find it in there, anything like that. There, there's no verse that commands, thou shall become a member of thy local church. It's just, it's not there. But just because church membership isn't explicit in the Bible with a nice, neat, and tidy verse for it, doesn't mean that it isn't biblical. It doesn't mean that it's not here implicitly. And if you struggle with that argument from from biblical implication, right, you'll actually struggle with Christianity because you know what other word isn't explicitly found in the Bible anywhere? Trinity, okay? But implicitly, it's everywhere, just like church membership. It's everywhere. What do I mean by biblical implication when it comes to church membership being in the Bible? Well, first, think about the the broad story, all right? Think about the broad story of the Bible. God has always distinguished between those who are his people and those who are not his people. He's always marked off his people so that he might put them on display for his own glory. The Garden of Eden had an inside and an outside. The book of Numbers, I know you skim over these parts, but there's a lot of names in there, okay? They take a census, they record the names. Each man up 20 years and older, Numbers 1 verse 3 says, there was a list. There was names on that list. Think, too, of Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples that he could have chosen, right, over the face of the earth, in and out, see? And then there's circumcision and the covenants in the Old Testament, which marked who was in and who was out in the Old Testament and defined what it meant to be in or out in that sense, In the book of Exodus, we see God working on behalf of his people. When they're enslaved in Egypt, there was a distinguishing between Israel and everyone else, you remember, when it came to the plagues, for example. Throughout the Bible, even back to the Old Testament, God draws a bright line of demarcation around his people. God knew, God's people knew who God's people were. And that's important. The same notion carries on into the New Testament. In the book of Acts, to be a Christian is to belong to the local church. No one, no one gets saved and then wanders around by him or herself, right, thinking about whether to join a church or not. You just don't see that. When, when people repent and are baptized, they are baptized into the fellowship of the church. It was automatic, And it happened fast. It went from 120, Acts chapter 1 verse 5 says, to over 3,000 in a day. Remember that? Those 3,000 were real people with real names, like James and John or Lydia. Maybe there's a Bob there. I don't know if there are Bobs in the New Testament or I can't find that one, but maybe there's a Bob there. Someone was counting, right? Someone was keeping track. In fact, a couple of chapters later, we read that that number, they just leave it like, well, it was like 3,000 or something like that. No, it says that the number just counting the men top 5,000. They kept counting. They kept keeping track. This is the early church. There's no lone rangerism going on. They knew who they were. God was adding to their number those who were saved. And you can read that and you can say, well, isn't that all there is to it then? You know, isn't the church simply a reality that's created by our salvation? What more do we need to talk about? But what more we need to talk about is actually the rest of the New Testament. It's great to have a a, a simplistic, organic view of the early church as it's presented in the early chapters of Acts, but you also have to read the rest of the book of Acts. 
right, where we see Paul being sent out to preach the gospel, to start more churches, and then coming back through and appointing elders and deacons in those churches, identified leaders. There's leadership structure. He gives instruction through his letters about these leadership structures and qualifications for them and, and, and instructions about worship and, and church discipline and the, the use of the gifts within the body and all the rest. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, here's one example. We read of Paul's instruction for Timothy, the leader of the church in Ephesus, to handle a situation that arose with widows. It says, let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. If, if those are the things that are true of her, let her be enrolled. See, there's a list. There's a list of, of who they were to care for. Widows, in this case, a list of who belonged under this category and was therefore within the explicit realm of their responsibility. We, we see it implicitly also in one of the passages that Sandy just read in Acts 20, verse 28. Where here we have Paul again giving specific instruction to the Ephesian elders where he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So there, there are specific people to whom the elders from Ephesus are charged here to pay careful attention to. There's a flock. The, the Holy Spirit has made them overseers of the flock. The elders are to care for the flock. And we're reminded of the seriousness of the charge here when they're reminded that Jesus obtained this flock with his own blood. Now, flock isn't an ambiguous term. It's a definitive term. If you go find an actual shepherd somewhere in the world, right, and you ask him how many sheep are in their flock, he'll give you an answer. He'll know. He'll know. He'll give you a number. Sheep are important to the shepherd. A flock is a fixed set, a defined group of sheep that he's caring for, overseeing, protecting, feeding, tending to. This is a metaphor that the Bible often uses of the local church. It's a flock entrusted to specific leaders called shepherds who are keeping watch, charged with keeping watch. Hebrews 13 then says, as believers, we are to obey our leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over our souls. So Acts 20 verse 28 addresses the shepherd's side, while Hebrews 13, 17 addresses the sheep side. Do you see that? And without concrete church membership, I would contend that both of these passages are impossible to obey concretely. See, there's a, a command here in Acts 20, 28 that myself and the other elders here uh, have to obey. Pay careful attention to the flock. Who is that exactly? That's a really important question for us to answer. After all, Hebrews 13 says we're going to have to give an account for this flock that he's entrusted to us. Without clear church membership, how do we know who it is that we give an account for? Is it anyone who ever has visited two pillars? Once? Is it those who have come back more than three times or three times within three months? Is it all semi-regular attenders, regular attenders? Who defines that? What about regular attenders who don't know and understand the gospel, who don't actually trust in Jesus? Do we, give, do we have to give an account for, for them? How, and how do we know? 
How do we know who they are? How do we know if they're a Christian or not? Who will we give an account for? Will we answer, we answer the question and believe that the Bible implicitly answers the question with church membership. Likewise, think of your side of this equation. Who are the leaders that you are to obey and submit to? And some of us, when we hear that, we're like, none. I don't want to obey and submit to anybody. But the problem is the Bible, because <laughs> it commands you to, right? It's a command, and therefore, you need to have a good answer. To put it in, in more substantiated terms, you know, presuming obedience, who are the leaders that you are seeking to obey and submit to, and do they know that? How would they know that? Do they know that they're going to give an account for you before the Lord? How would they know that? In the Bible, those keeping watch of souls, those who will give an account, are the pastors, the shepherds, the elders. And you have to ask yourself, am, am I to submit to all pastors, every lay elder, of any church or all churches. No, it's specific. You're to be a part of an explicit flock, making yourself known to shepherds of that flock, submitting yourselves to the spiritual authority of the shepherds of the flock in explicit ways. Again, church membership answers the question, how do I obey Hebrews 13 verse 17? Additionally, we see church membership implicitly present in places like Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5, where we learn about church discipline. In Matthew 18, for example, if a brother or sister fails to repent, after going through all the steps that, that are laid out there, private confrontation, small group confrontation, he, he, Jesus says, tell it to the church. Now, what does that mean? You know, do, we, do we need to get on Twitter and let every Christian everywhere know that someone is in un, unrepentant sin? You know, hashtag unrepentant sin? Is that what we do? No, the, the church is a local assembly. There's something local, something specific in mind here. In the passage in 1 Corinthians 5, we see church discipline carried out for the non-repentant sinner. We see it carried out all the way to what we would call excommunication. Presumably, they've gone through the steps that Jesus lays out in Matthew 18, but now he's to be excluded. Let him who has done this be removed from among you, Paul writes in verse 2. To be excluded necessitates, doesn't it? Having been previously included, in fact, there's no way for you to be excluded from the local church in this biblical sense, I would contend, based on 1 Corinthians 5, that the only way for you to be excluded in a biblical sense is to have been properly included in a biblical sense. How does one properly, biblically, become included in such a way that you could ever be excluded? We answer that question again and believe the Bible answers it implicitly with church membership. Now, that's just a few examples, right? Um, and there'll be more as we continue on here this morning, but I, I hope that you're beginning to get a sense, right, what, that while church membership isn't explicitly present in the Scriptures, while you can't Google search those two words together, even if you put them in parentheses, like you're not going to get a Google search result that links you back to esv.org and find that spot in the Bible where it's explicitly located. But it is there implicitly. Second heading that I want us to explore church membership under this morning is that of visible and invisible. Visible and invisible. This is an important distinction to make. I said earlier, um, early in the book of Acts, for example, if you were saved, you were a part of the church. It's automatic. Now we need to clarify that. When we are saved, all right, truly saved, which means converted, right? There's real change that happens in our life. 
We've turned from trusting in ourselves, trusting in other things, we've turned from that to trusting in Jesus. It's conversion. It's a change. We realize, as those who are trusting in Christ, we realize we can't get ourselves right with God. But Jesus came, and he lived the perfect life for us. He died in our place for our sins, and through him we are now counted as righteous before him. We begin to follow after him. Right? We begin to learn from him. Previously, we didn't do that. Now we do. People can tell that we've changed. This is what becoming a Christian is partially about, right? There's a change, a conversion that happens in us, and people can see that change. Our actions, our relationships, how we deal with conflict with one another, how we deal with suffering, it's different. Our words maybe are even different and, and changing. We experience forgiveness of our sins. Our condemnation lifts. Like the, the, sh the, the shame cloud that hangs over our soul begins to, to dissipate as we see ourselves not defined primarily as sinner, but as saint. We realize how deeply known and, and simultaneously how deeply loved we actually are by our Father in heaven. We experience conviction over our sin. We confess our sin to God and to our brothers and sisters around us. We continue to change through repentance. There's ongoing change that happens in our life. We're not perfect, but we're probably sinning less. Experiencing freedom from the slavery of sin, Paul even says in the book of Romans. We long to worship Jesus now and to be with his people now and to gather together as his people now and love one another and care for one another and exhort one another and encourage one another in gospel truth. And we, we take the scriptures as authoritative, his word. We prize his word and we seek to bring our entire life into accord with his word. That's what we mean when we say saved, okay? It's conversion. We're changed and we're changing in all the biblical ways. When that happens, you really become a Christian. When you really become a Christian, you become a part of the invisible church. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. No longer a stranger or an alien, but a citizen of the kingdom of a heaven. You are adopted in, just like we sang. That's true for all Christians everywhere across all time. Here's the definition for this invisible church business I'm talking about. The invisible church is the church as God perfectly sees it. In this sense, the church refers to every person of any age, race, and culture whose sins are forgiven through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everyone in the invisible church is truly a believer. And so when you get saved, you automatically become a part of the invisible church. What we see then in the New Testament is the invisible church making itself visible. In fact, one primary way that we show that we are indeed a part of the invisible church is by identifying with a real community of real people in local and tangible ways. What we might call the visible church. 
Now, this is where we got to be careful with our terms, okay? Keep tracking. So the visible church, unlike the invisible church, which is the church as God perfectly sees it, the visible church, on the other hand, is the church as we imperfectly see it. The visible church is the local church, local instances of the broader church. And while most members of the invisible church are also members of the visible church, or at least should be under ideal conditions, not all who are part of the visible church are necessarily a part of the invisible church. Is that clear as coffee yet? (laughs) A picture's worth at least 5,000 words here, okay? Think of the invisible and visible church as two circles that overlap. Let's bring up that, those circles. Look Look at those. I drew those this week. Aren't you proud of me? Those are great. Thank you. Now, with two circles that overlap, we actually create three categories. You see in that? Left, middle, right? Okay. The visible church, using these terms, is what you see when you, when you look at this room right now. I mean, just look around. Take a second. Look around. Nobody's doing it. Okay. Now you got it. Oh, he's like, oh, you're serious. He wants me to do it. Yeah. This is, what we're seeing right now is visible, visible church, right? You can, you can see people. It's visible Um, If you notice up here on the screen, look at that yellow portion. Not everyone in the visible church is a part of the invisible church. We actually think that's a good thing. We want this to always be a place where those who are far from God can draw near to God and hear about God. To come with questions, to come with doubts, to, to come with fears. That might describe you this morning. And, and if so, We are so glad that you're here. Um, You are welcome here, and we would love to get to know you. And even more importantly than that, we would really love for you to get to know Jesus. Lord willing, our Sunday gatherings will always be the kind of place where the skeptic and the curious and the seeker feel welcome, safe, not judged, and can come hear the gospel and experience something of it too. Here And even in our gospel communities, we, we want those who aren't Christians to be able to get a sense of belonging. It's a, it's a sense of belonging. It's not, it's not actual belonging in, in the sense that we're talking about being adopted and converted and saved. But we want people to be able to get a, a sense of belonging even before believing. Now think of the other circle, the other end of the diagram, the blue on the far left side. Right here you have the invisible church not overlapping into the circle with the visible church. Now, why would anybody be in that section? Well, lots of reasons, actually. They could be in a country or a city that has no true churches, okay? Um, Notice I didn't say no good churches. I said true churches, one that takes the Bible seriously, okay, and preaches the word and properly observes the ordinances. That's a true church, whether they meet every jot and tittle of, of your theological checklist or not whether it scratches the itch of all your relational and felt needs or or not, whether you like the music there or not. But that could be one reason that somebody would find themselves as a part of the invisible but not the visible church, unavailability. Though that's, I think we can admit that's pretty rare in the United States, and I would contend um, because of the abundance of great churches in our city, it doesn't apply to Lincoln in 2022, okay? It could also be, if you're over in this category, it could also be someone who uh, has just recently been saved, right? Perhaps through individual evangelism or another ministry, and they haven't yet been discipled into understanding or thinking about the biblical foundation for or the importance of belonging to a local church. 
And so immaturity, I, I don't mean that word in a pejorative way, just in a realistic way. Wounds and baggage are another reason. Right? Just a, a really bad experience with a prior church that can range from anything from relational conflict that never got resolved all the way to abusive leadership, whether that was physical, spiritual, or sexual. It might also have nothing to do with a prior church. It could have to do with your family of origin. Right? Like if your mom or dad professed Christianity and took you to church and then were a jerk, they were a jerk at the home or maybe abused you, that's going to... That, that has effects, right? It messes with us. So you might have like some of this wounding and baggage. It actually has nothing to do with the church, but how you experience other Christians in your life as a young person. There's all kinds of reasons. See, the, the point is that not everyone over here in this category just needs to repent. Some need to heal. Early on when we started the church, this wasn't something I understood. Uh, I didn't have any church baggage. The only church baggage that I have is the stuff I've created myself. You know, that's what I always say. Um, in my own immaturity as a pastor, I lacked empathy for those who did. And because of that, I treated everyone in this category as someone who was in sin. Obviously, they're anti-authoritarian. <laughs> Obviously, they're being ruled by, you know, the sin of individualism. Obviously, they're being selfish. Now, there's some of that, too. I might have just described you, Right? <laughs> we got to admit, that that's a category as well. You might not want to become a member of a church just because you don't want to become a member of a church. And if that's the case, you do need to repent. In, in light of passages like Hebrews 13, verse 17. But our understanding of the invisible church, apart from the visible church, has to be nuanced enough and compassionate enough to realize that not everyone who shows up in this category just needs to repent and get with the program already. She's not here this morning, but, but a person from our church who's not yet a member of our church actually helped me to come to terms with this and help kind of explain this to me. And I'd say her name, but I think she'd really prefer me not to. In a real gentle way, though, she helped me to understand, hey, not everyone over here just needs to repent and get with the program. And I'm forever grateful for that. How do we address unavailability? We plant more churches. How do we address immaturity? We make mature disciples. How do we address wounds and baggage? We cultivate a gospel culture that provides space for healing and we don't chase people away out of our own immaturity or zeal. How do we address anti-authoritarianism and individualism? We preach the gospel, we call people to repentance, and we teach on biblical ecclesiology. And we have to do all of these. See, what we're after with church membership is actually trying to press these two circles closer together. In effect, enlarging the middle category, those that are a part of both the invisible and the visible church, or what we would call, because it's what the Bible calls, the new covenant community. Another name for it, regenerate membership in the local church. Church membership provides the boundaries for the, the new covenant community. So if you're here this morning and you're in the... You're in the visible, but not the invisible, the new covenant community. We long for you to come to know Jesus in a saving way, make a, a profession of faith, be baptized, welcomed into as a covenant member of Two Pillars Church, a part of the new covenant community as expressed in this local body. 
If you're here today and you're in the invisible but not the new covenant community, which is kind of breaks the categories because we can look around, we can see you, okay? But let's just say that you're here today and you're, you see yourself as a part of the invisible but not the new covenant community. We want to, in a nuanced way, come alongside you, help you heal if that's what you need or help you mature in your biblical understanding of the church. We want to raise the bar of ecclesiology in your life. That's part of what the aim of this series is all about. Or we want to call you to repent of any anti-authoritarianism or individualism that's ruling and reigning in your life and, and see you begin to walk faithfully, biblically, in submission to church leaders, taking responsibility even for others and enjoying the privileges of church membership. That brings us then to the next heading, the privileges and responsibilities. Uh, if, if we go back to my gym illustration, right, uh, my only real responsibility, the why, is to pay my membership dues. And technically, you're supposed to wipe down the equipment when you're done. We, we are, you know, we kind of fudge on that sometimes, don't we? But my only real responsibility is to pay the, the membership dues. When I do that, I enjoy all the privileges, right? Lots of them, you know, access to the equipment, the locker room, the pool, classrooms, child, all of it, right? But even with the gym membership, there's both responsibilities and privileges. You know, when you read through the New Testament, you get all kinds of metaphors for the church. The one that we heard read in our scripture readings a bit ago was that of the body. Let's look at that again from Romans 12. It says, for as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now think about this. The Bible here presents the local church as an entity made up of multiple individuals and yet so highly integrated that we become one. We're, we're members one of another. I mean, if we, if we think about this and wrestle with this metaphor, it's mind-boggling. And we have a critical part to play in it. We'll see more of this as we... Look at 1 Corinthians 12 in a couple weeks. But for now, I want to make the point that as members of a body, members of the local church both enjoy privileges and participate in carrying the responsibilities. It's not one or the other, right? And just one note in passing, one of the other incredible blessings and privileges of church membership that, is, that we're not going to hit on this morning because we're going to talk about it next week, actually, though, but it's being a shepherded sheep. Next week, we're going to talk about church leadership, so we'll come back to that. But it's, it's too important not to mention that one of the privileges of being a member of a church is being a shepherded sheep. But to return to the flow here, we, we see these two sides of the same coin, privileges and responsibilities. We, we, we see them play out in two very important ways in the church that make up our next two headings. First, accountable love. Accountable love. Do you know the New Testament is filled with what we call the one another's of Scripture? Commands. <laughs> uh, imperatives, all right, that, that we are to obey, that we are to, to walk out, love one another, encourage one another, build one another up, admonish one another, speak truth to one another, exhort one another, stir one another up to love and good works, pray for one another, care for one another, submit to one another, and so many more. Each of these commands reminds us of both the responsibilities and the privileges of being a member of a church. See, without membership, without membership, all these things sound great in general. You know, 
They, they sound great in the abstract. In theory, we might say. We all love to think of ourselves as those who love other Christians and care for them and speak you know, truth to them. And we all really want to be on the receiving side of that, don't we? Except for the admonishing part. <laughs> but even then, right, on our best days, don't we, we know we're going to need that on our worst days. But the question is, who? Who are you responsible to in these one another ways? And reciprocally, putting you on the receiving end, who's responsible to you in these one another ways? Listen to these words of, of our Lord Jesus. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You are my friends, Jesus says. If you do what I command you. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There's a lot more from Jesus that we could read of him teaching us how we're to follow him, but we must be careful. We've always got to be careful not to delude ourselves. In becoming a member of a church, we are asking our brothers and sisters to not just encourage us to live according to the words of Jesus via a a -a once-a-week pep rally. No, we're actually entering into a set of accountable relationships, accountable love. You know, following Christ fundamentally involves how you treat other people. (laughs) There's a lot in here about that. And in membership, we covenant together to take responsibility for one another, to live out the ways that Jesus and the rest of Scripture commands us to. One of my favorite definitions of of church membership uh, actually gets at this. It's by Jonathan Lehman, who, who defines church membership this way. He says, church membership is a formal relationship between a church and a Christian characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's discipleship and the Christian's submission to living out his or her discipleship in the care, and I would add context, of the church. It's where we take responsibility for one another's discipleship in an accountable way. And it's where we receive the privileges of one another's discipleship in an accountable way with real people, with real needs, who commit real sins, not just the sins that you've deemed acceptable, but all kinds of them, right? Seeking to follow after the real Jesus in in a real church under real elders qualified to oversee the whole thing. Listen, that's not real easy. But it's what we're called to as followers of Jesus. I was talking to someone a little while back um, who used to be a part of our church and has long since moved away, lives in a different city, all that. And I asked this person, hey, how's, how's church going for you? And his response was, we're doing podcast church. Which means, I presume, he's listening to sermons on his phone from time to time. Uh, in case you're missing the point this morning, okay, you won't find that anywhere in the Bible, explicitly or implicitly. Why? Well, because you can't live out accountable love by doing podcast church. No, you live out accountable love by actually covenanting together with other believers who will hold you responsible for your end of the deal while they, in an accountable way, uphold theirs. 
How do we do accountable love as a body? We answer that question and believe the Bible implicitly answers that question with church membership. We covenant together to walk in the ways of Jesus, including how we relate with one another. We submit to one another. And the pastors over us who have to give an account for all this business after all. Pastors who commit to us to walk with us as we seek to walk together with Jesus. Accountable see to real people, real time, real space who live lives with real mess and real sin, real wounds, real weaknesses in the context of a real church of the real Jesus. It's not easy. But whatever gave you the idea that it would be? Surely not by reading this thing where Jesus says, hey, if you're going to follow after me, you're going to need to what? Deny yourself and take up your cross, not once, not daily, he says, and follow me. That leads us into the next heading, which is persistent commitment. Persistent commitment. Just to put it bluntly and succinctly, right? Uh, Families don't always get along. You know this about yourself and about your family? You know, there's can be hard sometimes, right? Um, most Christians who regularly attend a gospel-centered, Bible-preaching, Jesus-loving, faithful church will feel frustration at some point. <laughs> and if you're not anticipating that, right, if your idea is of, of church is that of people just always getting along perfectly, you need to go back and review the gospel. Because <laughs> the gospel reminds us that we are all sinful in need of Jesus. And because of that, we're going to sin against each other from time to time. We're going to frustrate, annoy. Our idiosyncrasies are going to rub people the wrong way from time to time, right? Just like in any relationship, whether it's friendship or a roommate, parenthood, marriage, we experience conflict. And we all respond to that differently. For some of us, our nature, and perhaps because of how we've been formed, is to flee that or ignore it or cover over, like don't look at it, you know, just like look away or something like that. Um, for others, our, t- our, our tendency is to run after it. You know, just guns blaze and stuff. Both of those responses are typically a response of fear. But church membership means we don't have to fear conflict. When we become members of a church, we are making a persistent commitment to work through our challenges, work through our differences in a biblical way, in a gospel-centered way and context, trusting the Holy Spirit to work in each other even when we rub each other the wrong way. And that's so countercultural. we almost don't believe it's true, don't we? It almost seems like, I don't know if that's even possible. The only way it's possible is by the Holy Spirit who lives in us and lives in each other. And Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Church, love is patient. It, it requires a persistent commitment. You can't cut and run. Love is kind. Love does not envy, doesn't boast. It's not arrogant or or rude. Love doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice in in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Listen to me. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love, real love, real biblical love, Never 
ends. Would you believe that Paul wrote those to words, he wrote those words to a church that was in conflict with each other? <laughs> to live that out, we're going to need to make a persistent commitment to one another. To, to not just jump when the going gets tough. To actually pursue biblical recon, reconciliation in the context of accountable love. <laughs> showing the world how it's done. And along the way, they'll see, they'll know. We're disciples of Jesus. Which brings us to the last heading, representative witness. Representative witness. Church membership matters because it's how we identify who it is that represents Jesus to the world. Right? I could do a whole sermon on this, but let me just say succinctly, it's important for us to know who we are, and it's important for the world to know who we are. Church membership is a church's affirmation that you do indeed belong to Jesus and therefore represent Jesus. Right? When someone claims to be a Christian but, but isn't living in an accountable love and persistent commitment of a local body of believers, oftentimes what gets represented to the world isn't biblical Christianity. And if we can dupe ourselves into thinking that we don't need that kind of accountability, that kind of persistent commitment, then we really don't grasp the depths of our sinful nature. When we do our membership interviews, there's a reason why we ask people to articulate the gospel. If you can't articulate what it is that you actually believe, how can we actually be sure that you believe it and can articulate it to anyone else? We also ask, how do you know you belong to Jesus? As in, what evidences are there in your life that sort of point to the fruit that's being born in your life? Another way that we ask that question is to sort of see, are you basing how you belong to Jesus based on your works or his? If you haven't been baptized, we baptize you. A public proclamation that you belong to Jesus. Also, the church's affirmation that you do. We ask you to sign a membership covenant, committing to live out your faith in accordance with God's word within this body of local believers. One of us elders co-signs that covenant. It's a church's corporate endorsement of you as a represent, representative of Jesus. We have you read our doctrinal statement. Not to force agreement with everything, but asking you to agree to not be divisive for the sake of what Jesus is doing here. Through the covenant, you also welcome the loving practice of church discipline. Other brothers and sisters holding you accountable to the things that you're professing with your mouth when you call yourself a Christian. Again, we... We do that so that together, as the body of Christ, we can guard one another, pursue one another, contend for the witness of Jesus through his people to a lost and dying world around us. Without these things, the church can end up providing the world with a deeply distorted picture of what a Christian is, and therefore a deeply distorted picture of what the gospel is and who Jesus is. Church membership is the answer to the question, who represents Jesus and his gospel to the world in an accountable way? Not through perfection. <laughs> We're not talking about putting on a face or a facade and, and presenting some sort of fictitious image of religious perfection to the world around us. Come on. 
And we're talking about a representation of the beautiful truth that God saves sinners like us. That's what we want the world to see. We're not perfect. We don't put on a facade to pretend to be. What people ought to see when they look upon the church is a group of people who know how much they need Jesus. A group of people who sin and struggle and annoy and offend one another from time to time, but who by the grace of Jesus repent, reconcile, and press on together. A group of people who are absolutely in love with and devoted to Jesus and his word. whose lives have been transformed or being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in all of that, a people who will give all glory to our perfect Father in heaven. As a church, we're, we're not pointing anyone to ourselves. We're pointing the world to him. And listen, it's, it's messy, but it's a beautiful mess. It's the new covenant community of Jesus. There's nothing like it in the world. Let me give you an action step for you. Everyone in this room, I want to encourage you this morning, even lovingly challenge you this morning to one of these three steps depending on, on, on where you are, okay? Number one, pray. <laughs> Uh, if, if you're here this morning and you're not a member of a local church and uh, maybe you're visiting, hey, like if, if this is your first day here, I realize like this is like first date and I just asked you to marry us, right? That's kind of weird. And so just pray, you know, it's like you can come back and we're not going to ask you next week if you're a member. Um, just, just take some time and, and pray. If you have hesitations about membership, if you've got some of the wounds and stuff that we've talked about or anything like that, w- would you pray about your hesitancies? Would you actually write those out? Share them with somebody else, maybe even in this room. Say, hey, like, th- these are actually my, my struggles. Could, could we be humble and gentle enough with one another to listen well to those and pray for a brother or sister who might be wrestling with what it means to become a member of a church? I do want to ask you, though, to prayerfully and biblically address your hesitancies. Second, become a member. Like, if you've been around here for a while, you know, if you've been attending for a few months or or something like that, um, we want to prayerfully encourage you to become a member of Two Pillars Church. The way that you do that right now is attend this series. If you've missed a a week or something like that, catch it online. We're not doing our membership class. This is our membership class this spring. And so we want you to to come to to these. We got, I don't know, half, we're like halfway through. We got a little ways to go yet. Um, But then you fill out a, a membership application. There's the link up there for you. You can fill that out today. And you just start thinking about it, right? Or you can wait till the end and then fill it out. And then what you do is you schedule a membership interview. We schedule that with you after we receive your application and we meet together with you and we talk about it. And then lastly, if you are a member of Two Pillars Church, we want to encourage you to renew your membership. We'll be talking about that more in the member meeting after church here today. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, um, we thank you so much for the church. We thank you that we... We get to share in both the privileges and responsibilities of the church. It's hard. It's messy. So are we. (laughs) You've adopted us into your family. You've reconciled with us, given us a, a new relationship, a renewed relationship with our Father in heaven. And you've given us brothers and sisters to do life with. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would call those who are part of your visible church, but not a part of your invisible church, I pray that you would call them into a saving relationship with you.
Those who are a part of your invisible church, but not a part of your visible church, Lord, would you bring healing where it's needed? Would you bring maturity where it's needed? Would you bring repentance where it's needed in a non-rushed way? People would experience lots of gospel, lots of safety, lots of time if they're in that category. And then, Lord, would you give us the grace that we need to live as the body of Christ with accountable love and persistent commitment. As we examine ourselves humbly, we know we got a long way to go there. (laughs) Guard us from looking only at the privileges of church membership. Help us lean as well into the responsibilities. Make us increasingly, Lord, a representative witness, bringing glory to Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.